Hello, basketball fans, and welcome to the Dave and Dia podcast. Starting at center from Portland, the wily veteran, Dave Deckard. And at guard from Los Angeles, the patron saint of rainbows and unicorns, your podcast MVP, Dia Miller. Welcome back to Dave and Dia, a Blazers Edge podcast. I'm Dia Miller. I'm here with Dave Deckard. It's our 90th episode. Uh, it's it's wild to think about that, Dave. You know, when we started this, I didn't know how it would go. I didn't I didn't know if we'd be here 90 episodes later. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Well, first of all, your microphone sounds wonderful this week. Last week we had a little tin can itis going on. This week you sound pristine. It's classic Dia. And yeah, ninety episodes. I mean, we'll have to do something for our hundredth. And uh, you know what? I was thinking today that when we get to Blazers Edge night, probably next spring, I'm going to invite you to come up to Portland, and we will hold a Dave and Dia and Blazers Edge party. We were thinking about that last year. COVID and stuff kind of interfered. So those of you who are stuck with us for 90 episodes, uh, you'll be the first to know here when we do that and how and come and see us and uh, we will, uh, you know, get to talk with all of you. It's It's been wonderful doing this. Yeah, that'd be fun. We've talked about, you know, some things like doing a live podcast or doing, you know, things like that. And I think that, I think there's room for that. It would be kind of an interesting thing. You know, it's been interesting here because, we, we didn't really know how this was going to go initially. I think we kind of talked about how we didn't want it to just be your stats podcast. You know, stats mm-hmm. have never been my thing. I can follow them. I understand them, but that's never how I've viewed the game of basketball. And I think when we went into this, we kind of looked at it as an opportunity for us to just talk about a team we like. And uh, it's always interesting to hear the feedback. Some of it's been really good. And we have people who have been listening from the beginning and who have jumped back in and I'm great or who have jumped in since. uh, And I'm grateful for that. And then we have people that aren't always so kind about, you know, one or the other of us. And I think that that's okay. I think everybody kind of has their opinions and their preferences. And this podcast isn't for everyone and that's okay. But I'm, I think it's been really cool to have, you know, the interactions that we've had with people outside of this that listen uh, I know I, I get messages from people on Twitter that that listen to the podcast, and I always like hearing from people and hearing their opinions and hearing their feedback, and uh, it makes it more fun, you know, when when we're getting to talk to people outside of it about about the podcast. Yeah, well, and there are some people who don't like guacamole too, and, and those people are crazy. So, I mean, <laughs> you, you're the avocado. I bring a little lemon juice. We're good to go, uh, and uh, yeah, it's a good mix. It, yeah, it's it's been good. I I'm glad we're here. There, are, you know, I mean, ninety is is an accomplishment. That's their podcasts that have you know lasted much less than that. And there's nothing wrong with that either. But I'm I'm grateful that we are in a place where we can continue to do this and people continue to listen. So, thanks for listening, guys. Yay. <laughs> so there's you know we're in this kind of weird spot right now with summer because. You know, free agency is happening, but there things are kind of starting to settle. The summer league's over, but the season hasn't started yet. Training camp hasn't started yet. So we're just kind of in this weird 
middle ground. Uh, and, and we could essentially just stop talking and wait till the season starts, but we haven't, we haven't done that. You know, there's still bits and pieces of things that are happening. Y'all are still talking like crazy on Twitter about the Blazers. So I know there's still interest happening even in the off season. So we, we continue to do this, you know, these episodes may be a little shorter, but, but we've got some interesting things today, starting with news that broke today of, of Jared Roden being signed. My first response was who? I did not recognize that name. I had to go look him up. He played with the Kings Summer League, Sacramento Kings. He was on their Summer League team. And, uh, you know, people had good things to say about him. He is a guard. Granted, he's 6'6", and he's a solid human being. He's not, uh, he's got some size to him for sure. But he is a guard. Uh, I saw a tweet that said something like, find yourself a girl that likes you as much as the trailblazers like guards. And I feel like that is accurate. Definitely have I, a lot I'm of guards. I'm not sure on our she roster. exists at this point, but okay. <laughs> oh, they didn't it's, mean literally. It's a meme. Okay. Got it. I mean, it's, it's, uh, there's, the, there Twitter. are a lot of guards. Okay, anyway. Yes. There are, there are a lot of guards. The trail, if there is something that the blazers like, it is a guard. So, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting choice. I think it's important to note here that we're talking about the, the roster's filled. The 15 spots are filled. Right now, we've got one two-way spot available. So, And at this point, they're signing people to go to training camp and fight for a two-way spot, essentially. Yeah, I mean, at best. And this happens every year. Training camp roster gets filled out. And you can tell that there are some people, or sorry, some franchises that have roster spots open and they get the prime players. And then there's some like the Blazers who are expected to be full already and they kind of get the more fringe guys. And especially if you're a guard coming to Portland, your chances of making this roster this year are not huge. But what are you doing? You are trying to impress somebody uh, you know, obviously the front office of the team that you're auditioning with, but also they might mention you to someone else. You're trying to get your name associated with the NBA. Uh, you hope to get a training camp call up or a 10-day contract from someone else. There are always possibilities. And, and, and by the way, don't miss those later 10 days. They often come uh, with people that you've, you've had in training camp in the fall. So, uh, you get your name out there, you try to get in and see what happens. I'm not sure that any of the names we're going to see over the next month will actually make the team, but it'll be interesting to see who the Blazers want to take a look at. Yeah, well, and and to to this guy's credit, his name's Jared. To Jared, I think he goes by Jaw. I heard him call himself that on this thing that I listened to. Um, to his credit, I went to his social media, you know, as after he was announced and kind of looked at him and um, there was a an interview clip from a podcast that he was on and they, and he was describing himself as a player and the kind of player he wants to be. And he talked about how, you know, he may not always be the guy that when you look at a stat line, he's standing out, but he wants to be a guy that you feel his presence on the court, whether his stats show it or not. And, you know, talking about hustling for the ball and getting rebounds and playing defense and things like that. And, um, yeah, I think it that it was really interesting to see that because that seems like the type of guy that the Blazers are targeting right now. You know, they've talked about 
um, wanting to go after a certain type of, of player. And they're looking, it, it seems like they're going after guys that are going to make a difference that aren't necessarily just scorers. Um, so he might fit into what they're doing, but again, you know, he was, he was undrafted. He is not somebody that we really are familiar with and likely, I don't know if he'll take that last two way spot. He may, but either way, it's probably not going to be a difference maker this year, but you never know developmentally. Sometimes those guys that end up with two way contracts end up being great players. Well, I mean, Trendon Watford, I mean, made the team. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, good enough. And he's not the last name we're going to see. It'll be interesting to see if they pull any big guys, but um, yeah, let's, let's see what happens. And by big guys, I'm hoping you mean centers because we could really use a backup center. Yeah, I mean, Drew Eubanks. Uh, well, I mean, another backup. We've got a lot of guards and we've got Nurkic and Eubanks. And I just worry so much that somebody's going to get hurt and we're going to be in trouble. There's it's another that, move that, coming. I mean, there's another, not right yeah. now, but we've talked about that. Right, there's another. Right, right. You're going to see another move either, either this year or, or next summer to finalize this roster. And uh, I bet it comes this year. So, uh, again, Josh Hart is the name that is just hanging out there, uh, who has the option to get out of his contract after this year, who's probably going to leave Portland after this year unless you see him play a really major role. And so, you know, he needs to be traded and you might have the possibility to balance out the roster that way if someone is looking to get rid of a, a big man. Yeah, it's interesting because centers, especially good centers, seem so hard to come by. You know, there's so many guards in this league and there's so few centers and good centers that um, it it seems like that is a harder spot to fill. Well, I suppose to Uh, find good center, though, I mean, because there's a big look, there's a huge gap, right? I mean, yeah, there's, you know, Jokic and there's Embiid. And then, you know, you kind of get your Rudy Gobert's and, you know, like that kind of underneath crust. But then what do centers do now? I mean, the post-up and rebounding guy is has gone the way of the dodo. I mean, Andre Drummond was a $40 million player, you know, and, and now can't get hired for squat uh, because nobody plays his game. Uh, so you've got, you've got those multi-talented franchise changing guys and then you've got a big gap and kind of a murky swamp of well you know you kind of got some decent overall players who happen to be seven feet tall so one of the problems that portland can run into is who do you get i mean it's easy for me to say oh well trade josh hart for a center but what center right you know and who are you getting that's of commensurate value you know, it's like, okay, there's no Josh Hart center out there that people are going to trade. You either usually get a guy who's got lots of offensive skills but can't defend for squat, or a guy who can rebound and maybe defend or block some shots, but has a range of about 2.5 feet. And either one of those is problematic. The good thing for Portland, though, is, of course, they just need a backup center. So, I mean, there there are more possibilities there than if you were looking for a starting guy. But still, it's a hard position to fill right now simply because the league hasn't grown many. And the ones they have, they don't know what to do with. Which also, it it adds to the conversation around Nurkic because I know that in the offseason, there was a lot of talk about trading Nurkic. And um, I think that there's still a lot of talk about that. And maybe not as much now that, you know, he's resigned and whatnot, but uh, there there's been for a while 
talk about. I mean, we've even talked about it. But the fact is, Nurkic is is a solid center, and there aren't a lot of those that are available right now. And so it would make no sense to let him go and try to go after somebody else in in the market as it is. Um, but it still would be in my for for my peace of mind. I would like to have another back again. We're not talking about a Nurkic. We're talking about essentially a third backup center. Um, it just, it just as much injury as there is in that position. I just always feel better having that, that option, I guess. Well, they're almost in the uh, NBA 2K drafting mode here because there comes a time in your NBA 2K draft where you realize that the the difference between a mid-level guy and a min-contract guy at a given position is infinitesimal. And so you kind of go with the mid-contract guy, or the minimum contract guy, rather, and use your mid-levels on something else. Now, obviously, that's not a complete analogy to the actual MBA, but the Blazers may think if they need a backup to the backup, certainly if they're looking at third string, but even if they're looking at a tandem second string with Drew Eubanks, they may just figure a minimum contract center can be found if necessary. And they can get some decent talent there. And it might only be 85% of what an actual center who cost you $10 million a year would give you. But 85% of $10 million when it only costs you 1.5 is actually a pretty good deal, especially when it's an emergency measure. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to see where they go with that. But but that market for centers is is slim, which is actually interesting and leads us to our next kind of topic here. Um, Inez Cantor, who oh, Inez Cantor Freedom, there we go. Uh, he changed his name, who played for the Trailblazers um, multiple times. He went back and forth between the Trailblazers and Celtics a few years. And he has been out of the league now for, I believe, a year. Uh, he was released by the Houston Rockets right before the trade deadline. So I guess not a full year. Um, and he's been talking. He's made some noise. If you follow him and and what he's been talking about, he's he's made a lot of noise about a lot of things, issues, you know, he's been vocal about. Uh, and he ruffled a lot of feathers and it wasn't always pretty. And he recently commented to Euro Hoops, and this was his quote. I'm just going to quote it. I don't want to try to summarize. This is what he said. Free agency is open for one month. Normally, I should have already received offers. This summer, I did not receive one single offer. The reason is that I spoke out against what is happening in China in recent months. The Chinese market is a big part of the NBA business, so they will... So they will allow talking freely about anything you want until it hurts them financially. As soon as you do that, they will cut you. It is very sad and unacceptable. Um, he went on to talk a little bit about his situation and how he can't go back to Turkey. Uh, and he's not he's 30 years old and he thinks he still has another five or six years that he can play in the NBA. <sighs> Here's the thing. If you are LeBron James, you can get away with saying a lot of things and still have a spot on an NBA roster. We saw this essentially happen with with Colin Kaepernick too, where he he made a choice to take a stand. And whether you agree with what he did or not is is not what we're talking about here. Um, and and same with with Inez. But the fact is that there's a sense in which organizations don't necessarily want to get tied up in all of that, 
especially if, if you're not a superstar. And so sometimes these guys make comments that get them in trouble or get them, you know, get people talking in a way that, that isn't necessarily controversy free. And then they end up without a spot. Now, I don't know that that's why Inez got cut. We, we don't know. It may just be that he didn't fit. I don't know, but it, it, it just, he's blaming the comments, which is why I'm bringing it up because otherwise I wouldn't. But the fact is he's saying that because he spoke up, he can't get a spot on a roster. Um, And we, you know, we don't know if that's true or not. We don't know the inner workings of things, but I will say, I think that sometimes if, if you are not a, a superstar of a player and, and there's controversy around you, you're going to have a hard time finding a place. And I think that that could be part of where he, where he's at. Well, let's, differentiate Kaepernick and freedom just a little bit in that yeah, now I don't know dramatically a, different. I don't know dramatically different. yeah I don't know a lot about football but Kaepernick was a starting quarterback and seemed to be performing pretty well and quarterbacks are the prize possession a position in the NFL right yeah so it was a little bit more dramatic and probably a little bit more of a ostracizing situation that he protested you know, against the, uh, against racism and then was not retained or hired anywhere. So I, I, again, I'm not an expert on that, but that was, that seemed like a very dramatic example of, you know, being ignored or ostracized by a league. Yeah. Let, yeah, I should clarify. They're not. The, I'm not trying to say that they're the same thing. I'm trying to bring up another example of something where a player took a stand for something and it seemed like there were direct consequences to that. But I, yeah, the two no. situations are different. Here's my guess. I'm guessing Ennis Freedom is piggybacking on that idea. And I don't discount that there may be some grain of truth to that because we saw the Daryl Morey situation where he made a comment about China and all hell broke loose. But he's also in Philadelphia right now. So, I mean, he still has a job. <laughs> so, look... I think it has more to do with freedom has been on minimum contracts for a while now. Um, the Celtics seem to like him well enough, but nobody liked him well enough to offer him more money. Nobody liked him well enough to lock him up. Uh, he's famously uh, a non-defender. Uh, he does rebound, but that stat is devalued now in, in this NBA. And he's not very mobile and you know what? They can get his offensive production from a smaller person who is more mobile. So I'm guessing that that has got up with him more than any comments that he's made. Also understanding that he has been at the eye of the political storm internationally for a long time. And that may also play a factor. If you're kind of on the fence about someone, you kind of measure, you know, this or that. But if there's one straw that breaks the camel's back at the end, one thing that tips the balance, you know, it kind of makes you go, all right, this is not even worth considering anymore. It's not like you you weigh it all out and this side is a little heavier. It's just, why am I even doing this balancing act, this stress, this judgment? Because you know what? I could get a different player that I don't have to make these judgments about. I can just weigh it like I would any other basketball player. That may be catching up with him. But 
that doesn't change the fact that they were having to do the balancing and judging and weighing to begin with, and he wasn't yeah. coming out on the positive side of it. It's interesting because we just had a conversation about how centers are, are tough to find. Um, and so to have for him to be sitting there thinking, you know, he had a decent career in the NBA and now he's not getting a spot. I'm sure that that's a whole thing that he's trying to figure out. Um, but you're right. I mean, there was when he was on the Blazers, I, you heard a whole lot of hot and cold opinions about him. It was never a, a consensus, you know, and and um, he wasn't always consistent about things. And and sometimes he'd play really well. And other times, you know, even even when his stats showed that he was playing well, there were times where you look at you'd, you'd watch the game and you wouldn't feel that way. Um, so I, I, I don't know. It, either way, I mean, it, it's not. Ultimately, you'll never know and he'll never know if it's because of that or if it's because of his skill or lack of or lack of fit somewhere. It, you know, the, it, there's no way to know what exactly it is. But ultimately, at the end of the day, like he's not working. It's, we, it's tricky. We should clarify. Centers aren't tough to find. They're tough to play. It's tough to find right. a center that you can play. I right. mean, again, you have your elite centers that, OK, you're automatically going to play them. And then you have your five-minute centers, or you know, big men that you put in for matchups or whatever, because they're a project. Okay, fine. Trying to find time and court space for your mid-level center who's gumming up the middle uh, for your guards to drive and who might not be getting out to the three-point arc to defend because he's not mobile enough and, uh, you know, might not be a great interior defender either and has only a mid-range shot, which you don't really want. Okay, Trying to, there are a lot of guys like that, and trying to play them successfully is the issue in this NBA. So they can find well Ennis, they can find Ennis Freedom, right? But right. can they play him? There's so many dynamics that you don't always realize, you know. And I think that this is a conversation that's being had a lot right now with with the rosters, like the Nets and the Lakers, where they put a bunch of really talented people together, and it didn't go where they thought it would. Um, there's more to this than just throwing the most talented people you can find together. And I think sometimes that, that when I stop and think about all the things that factor into putting together a successful team, I feel hopeless. (laughs) We're never going to win anything because there's so many moving parts. We should say this also, uh, this is how it happens. They've done articles on this. I think true hoop was on this for a while, but you don't usually get retired in the NBA unless you're like Dirk Nowitzki or someone like that, right? You don't know you're retired. They just don't call you. No one calls and says you're done. They just, the phone number rings and then you figure out you're done. So Cantor may be going through this like a lot of 30-something-year-old basketball players. And, uh, you know, we'll see especially if you don't want to be done. And then you have guys that will fight to try to get back in. I mean, we see that. I, I saw that a lot being with the G League last year. You you see these guys that are coming back in. And uh, I think about Darren Collison, who came back in and, and was playing with the Lakers G League. And you'll see that happen every now and then, where an NBA player who had a good career, a well-known name, uh, who, who just wasn't in the NBA anymore all of a sudden. And now they're trying to kind of work their way back in and, and you'll have somebody like that who will go in and, and try to, to find a way back in, whether that's with the G league or, or wherever. I think for some of these guys, when you love that game and you love playing and that's how you've made your livelihood, how you've made your living 
And then, like you said, suddenly you're just not getting calls and you you weren't planning on being done. There's this draw to continue to play and to try to find a way to play. And that's when you end up with guys playing in the G League or playing in the big three or or other leagues like that. Yeah. And of course, freedom can't, as he says, can't go back very easily overseas. So right. I mean, that kind of right. takes away one option. It also points out, though, you mentioned Collison, how particular and exacting the league has become. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, especially 30 years ago, you had a few different archetypes. I mean, yes, the power forward was supposed to be a low post, back to the basket, big rebounder. But you had people as, you know, different as Maurice Lucas and Ralph Sampson and, you know, a bunch of other players playing power forward. And some were long and skinny and had range and some were short and blocky and all kinds of stuff. There were muscular guys, there were lithe guys, you know, there was, it was all over, right? Now, if you have holes, if you are Darren Collison and don't have a three-point shot, you can be darn good at distributing the ball and even defending or whatever. You have a hard time getting in there. You can be Ennis Kander and have a lot of offensive skill and be able to rebound the heck out of the ball. But if you can't defend, you're going to have a hard time getting in there. The league has become so demanding about having all the tools and fitting into the right athletic profile. It's, it's, it's kind of scary. And, uh, you know, I wonder if, We'll see an evolution where it goes back to more openness, but you know you're you're almost looking at athletes have to be robots. They have to tick off all the boxes uh, and yep. be technically uh, sound and proficient, or they're they're just. It's not that they're not going to make it. Freedom did, but they're going to be the first ones that are off the boat. It's just a. It's another level of elite, uh, and I think you know the the more time goes by and the longer that there's the game of basketball, the more people are fighting for it, the more, the more, you know, resources there are that are available, the more training, the more programs, the more things that, and and it creates this elite basketball player. And when there's enough of those, when there are enough players that are that elite, it makes other players that are very good, not to the same standard. And the thing that's always interesting to me is the guys that fight for it. Anyway, you have these guys that, that either they spent time in the NBA and they're fighting to get back and they go to the G league or the big three or some league like that. But you also have guys, I love to talk about Gary Payton, who's now on the Blazers. So I feel like I can talk about him more. You have guys like that who didn't make it initially. And instead of giving up or even going into the G league for a year or two, and then giving up, he fought and fought and fought five years in the G League that he bounced from team to team and and honed his skills and and you know built his his skill set and his talent and his ability to be the player that he is. And I have so much admiration and respect for people like that who who take that time and instead of just giving up and walking away, they take that time to hone in and and build those skills that are necessary to have a place in the NBA. Gary's one that I'm just, I am thrilled to watch him play with the Trailblazers next season. That's going to be fun. Yeah. And it's been a bit, I think, since the Blazers had guys who were actively in the middle of that. I mean, they have, it's not that they haven't had workhorses. I mean, Trevor Ariza, Robert Covington, but by the time the Blazers got them by design, 
they were already in the you know prosperous parts of their career. They had made it right, uh, and that's why Portland got them. Yeah, there hasn't yeah. been a lot of that. We're we need to dig. We need to. This is my livelihood, and it's on the line every time I step on the court. Maybe from young players who didn't play much, but I mean, if you look at Lillard, he made it. It's not, I'm not criticizing his approach. I'm not saying he doesn't have fire. I'm just saying that's not part of Damian Lillard's portfolio. He's made it. C.J. McCollum had made it, right? Uh, Yusuf Nurkic has never had that kind of carriage about him. And by the way, the Blazers have paid him all right. And and like I said, the forwards that came in, I mean, I guess Al Farouk Aminu would qualify uh, Mo Harkless, eh, maybe, but like Gary Payton, like literally, okay, I'm, this is how I did it. I blue collared it. I didn't take no for an answer. I proved yep. myself every time I went out there. This team could use a shot of that. So I'm yeah. excited to see what he does too. I hope that there's enough of a cradle around it to make a difference, right? There has to be the infrastructure. You can't just get by on that, but the exciting part would would be if that kind of uh, spirit infected the rest of the team, and that can happen. I mean, you look at yeah. you look at the the Blazers like and Clyde Drexler. I mean, this was what Jerome Kersey did. Terry Porter too, a little bit. Small college guys who came in there. I mean, he Jerome was behind Kiki Vandeweghe, who was an All NBA player, right? And Jerome's like, ah, I'm I'm taking this. I'm you know, and you're never going to take it away from me. And all of a sudden, that hit you know Terry and gave him permission. Uh, that eventually drifted to Clyde, even Kevin. Duckworth, Buck Williams came in there and had that same kind of attitude. And all of a sudden, this was a very hard-nosed, tough, hard-playing team. And that that was the secret sauce that changed them from what they were in the late 80s, which is a collection of really talented players who played nice together and, and it was fine, but they didn't really advance very far, to that unit that really took on the world and most often won. I think that fight, you know, that, that, that just, there's something to prove there. I think that's not a bad thing. I think when players have a need to come in and, and prove something, I, I think there's space for both. You know, I think that's a good balance where we have guys like Damian Lillard who have, who has established himself and is kind of a quiet force of, I, I'm, I belong here. I'm comfortable here. I, I know what I'm doing and I'm going to, and I'm going to do it. Um, I think that combined with a guy like Gary who has that drag, drag, drive. I tried to say drive and and um, and dog at the same time, and it came out drag. Um, that that drive and that kind of dog like yeah, you hear people refer to. I, I'm tenacity. having a hard time saying it. Yeah, tenacity. tenacity. Yeah, thank like you. A, like an attack god. Yeah, dog like the or, fight, the yeah. fight. You mm-hmm. know, and and. Um, there's something really good about that balance, I think, of having both of those things. And I think that it's going to play out to a really good chemistry, both on and off the court, I think, with this team. Well, and let's not compare them directly because it's not fair. But, I mean, the the Warriors would not be the same without Draymond Green. I mean, yeah. and love him or hate him, he brought that kind of Doberman-like attack. Yeah. You know, ah, you know, you, you did not... You did not mess with him. You knew and know that you got in a game with him on the other team, right? Yeah. You can go back as far as 
you know, Brandon Roy, uh, 2008, I believe, uh, when the Blazers played the Rockets, when they were resurging into the playoffs, they had just come back, you know? And it's like Portland showed up and like, yeah, we got some really nice players, super talented, young, but this is a good team. And then Houston came in and just cut them off at the knees. Uh, the line I used then was Portland came in with their briefcases and ties and Houston came in with, you know, a sledgehammer. And uh, Portland was ready for business and Houston was ready to fight. And the Blazers have kind of had that personality a little bit. I mean, they shook it off a bit in 2014-15, I think. They not only played pretty, but guys like Wesley Matthews, even Nicola Batum was able to dig down. LaMarcus Aldridge was able to dig down. Robin Lopez dug down a little bit. And you had a little bit of that fight there, but that was a brief spurt of it in the midst of yeah we're really nice guys we're talented guys we can do a lot of good things and you should like us well i may like you but that doesn't mean i'm gonna let you win and if i can outfight you and take this i'm gonna take it from you because that's what sports are about hopefully gary payton and maybe a couple other players will offer an injection of that fight to the blazers yeah yeah it's gonna be i think it's gonna be a good season to watch CJ Ellaby is one that we have not talked about. Um, he, his name has come up here and there. People kind of wondering what's going on there. Uh, he was not um, re-signed with the Blazers, so he was kind of waiting for a home. And today it was announced that that home will be with the Timberwolves, at least for their training camp. Um, you know, he'll be there fighting for a spot on a roster. That's what this the training camps are are partly for is is for those guys to go out and and show what they can do and fill those roster spots so cj ellaby headed to the timberwolves um you know we've talked about him off and on on here i wish him the best i hope that he can find um you know a place i like i like him um as a human one of my favorite things ever was watching his family uh, when I got to be up in Portland, his his dad was sitting right in front of me and, and his dad was also staying at my hotel. So I, I ran into him a few times in the hotel and things like that. And he just oozes pride for his son. Uh, and I love that. I love seeing that. I love just watching that. And I think, you know, CJ Ellaby is, is somebody that it was fun to watch him and Norm develop a friendship and, and things like that. I hope that he finds a home and, and a place that he fits and he continues to be in the league. Yeah, I mean, he's Jared Roden now. I mean, he's he's got a training camp contract. Yep. He has experience. He's played, yeah. obviously, uh, in the NBA. That should give him a leg up. I think he better come in And ready significant to, playing time. Yeah. I mean, especially with last year. He'd better come in ready to fight really hard. Uh, so, uh, you know, he gets his chance. I don't know that he's going to make an impact, but... Okay, uh, you know, congratulations. And he might be one of those guys that ends up on the fringe of the league too. Uh, and we will see what happens. I just, I think it was clear last year that the Blazers had better options at guard and they thought so too. Yeah, yep. All the guards. We have all the guards. So yes. <laughs> I guess that makes sense. Um, last kind of big thing 
to talk about this week is not really Blazers related, but definitely NBA related. Um, Bill Russell passed away 88 years old, just an absolute NBA legend. He did not play for the Trailblazers. He played for the Celtics. Um, I believe he won 11 champ. Nah, 11. Hold on. I should look this up. Really, really good NBA player, uh, Bill Russell. So lots of tributes um, happening for him all over social media. Lots of players posting about, you know, his impact, the impact that that was left on him, on them by him because of him, because of his life, because of his career, because of who he was as, as a human being. Um, just really, really good things. And I know anytime somebody passes away, the things that are said about them are good, but you can tell that even long after he finished playing the game, he continued to make an impact and he continued to help to shape the future of, of the NBA and of, of professional basketball. Um, and just really, you know, I'm, I'm glad he was able to live a long life, but it's always sad to hear of someone passing. Yeah. I think if you are a basketball fan, you consider putting Wilt Chamberlain on your Mount Rushmore, but if you are a basketball guy, you know what I mean? The, the basketball players, basketball players, what you're looking for. Bill Russell is, is up there. And he was not a selfish guy. He was not an offense guy. Uh, but he was clockwork on defense. He really established that center position as a defensive rebounding backstop force. Not the guy who was going to, you know, Havlicek stole the ball, Havlicek stole the ball, right? And not your Larry Bird either. Uh, but the guy that provided the foundation that all those smaller guys and the scorers and the guys you noticed stood on. And he was, I think you have to say, the best at that, okay? That the the... You know you have someone behind you. You know that that guy doesn't just know his assignment. He knows your assignment. He knows when and how you're going to get beat. He knows how to cover for you. He knows which way that ball is going to bounce off the rim. He's going to get you the possession back, and he's going to get it to the people who can score. And by the way, he's never going to get in the way. He's never going to be selfish. And he's always going to be there when you need him, like for a, a layup or an offensive rebound bucket. Okay. That's, that's Bill Russell. That's he, he did that. And I think that his longevity, despite the relative lack of publicity, and keep in mind, I mean, you probably knew his name, but all those championships, who else had that many championships and you routinely forget to name him among the best players in his position? I mean, Michael Jordan has half that many and nobody forgets him. LeBron James has a third that many and nobody forgets him. Bill Russell is the guy that you would say the NBA archetype for the 60s and the guy who really paved the way for the team concept of winning to, to overshadow the individual. Yeah. And, and just to, 
to mention the, the accolades, 11 NBA championships. I started to say that and then I hesitated because it's so many and I thought maybe I maybe I misread that. 11 NBA championships with the Celtics during 13 years of NBA of his NBA career. So only two seasons did he not win a championship of 13 years. He averaged 15.1 points and 22 and a half rebounds. He averaged 22 and a half rebounds per game throughout his 13 seasons. The, the, the sheer impressiveness of that, when you think about 22 and a half rebounds per game for 13 seasons, that's his average. That is, that is so high <laughs> for, for that time. Um, 12 all-star selections, five MVP awards, NBA Finals MVP award um, is is named in his honor. That just a fun fact, and um, he was also inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1975. So, just a, an absolute incredible force in the world of basketball. But again, uh, aside from how well he played the game. I think there's so much to be said for how well he lived his life and impacted the people around him and continued to leave his footprint on the game of basketball long after he retired. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have the Celtics dynasty without him is the other thing. And that, I mean, I know it's, it's ancient history now it's before my time. I get it. But when I was a kid and of course, you know, yeah, everything, Lakers, Celtics, Bulls, you get it. That whole era, that was the modern thing. But you always knew in the back of your mind that before that, there were those 1960s Celtics. Before that, the stories were told of the dynasty that established the idea of dynasty. And that were those, those were those Boston teams. And they were even with all the players that they had, they were anchored by Bill Russell. So, I mean, I, I can't even think of, a, of an analogy to him today. Uh, I don't think that player exists, especially at the center position. But, my gosh, uh, thank goodness that he did exist. And, you know, Godspeed, Bill, and thank you. Yeah. Yeah, that's all I have um, for the week. It, you know, again, it, we've got not a lot to talk about right now. Um, I ended up accidentally in a movie about basketball this week. Did I tell you that? No, sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, I live in LA and I, I like to shoot. Um, and there's a lot of basketball hoops and things in in the area. And so, um, I went out to shoot this last week and walked into a court that I've played at before. And there was a movie crew there. And I said, are you using, you know, are, are you using the courts? Like, can I shoot? And the guy jokingly, I thought jokingly said, well, yeah, but you know, you just might end up in the, in the movie. <laughs> I said, okay. And I started shooting and uh, after a little while came over and said, Hey, we need to film this, uh, this scene. And we just need a bunch of basketballs going in the hoop. Um, so you can continue to shoot as long as you're making them, but if you're missing them, we might kick you out. <laughs> so, no pressure. um, yeah, so that was kind of cool. I, I think Dan Miller gets a training camp contract with the movie. Right. <laughs> um, I believe it's a short film. They said something about uh, it being at Sundance, so I'm watching for it. 
Um, and if I see anything about it, I'll let you know. But it's kind of kind of a cool experience that you get living in this area every now and then. That's not the first movie set I've accidentally walked onto, so <laughs> probably won't be the last. I think we all ima- imagine that living in L.A. is just accidentally walking into movies like all the time. <laughs> right. right. I remember coming here uh, on vacation before we moved here. I was like 15 and all I wanted to do was go to Hollywood. And now, well, and and we did. And I was incredibly disappointed because Hollywood, if you haven't been here, is not at all what you would think. In my 15-year-old brain, I thought it was going to be like Rodeo Drive, you know, very fancy and whatever and movie stars on every corner. And it is dirty and it is loud and it is not like at all what I pictured. Um, and I, you know, I've had my, I've had my fair share of run-ins with, with people in this area and, and movies being filmed and things like that. But it's definitely, you definitely get that in the city. Uh, but outside of, outside of the city, you're, you're not seeing it so much. It's just like living anywhere else, but interesting, kind of an interesting thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, movies are making a comeback now in the theaters. So uh, I think that, yeah, they said July was the first month since the pandemic where ticket sales topped a billion. So uh, that's nice. I mean, look, it's an art form that I'm interested in not losing. And I get streaming yeah. and stuff like that. I, I like I like the fact that Netflix can do Stranger Things, and I like that animated yeah. animated shows have come into their own, and they're some of the most avant garde, interesting writing, and also composition that exists now. I love that. Those were dimensions that were sorely needed for a long time. At the same time, there is something both aesthetically pleasing and culturally relevant about a movie filmed to be put on a big screen for a community to view together in the same place. And I think you can do things with the scope of storytelling and visuals that cannot be duplicated. And I don't, I I want it all. I I want, I want that. In fact, uh, you know, um, sports movies, are, are always interesting because yeah. we should do a show on that. Like what are your favorite sports movies? But what yeah, you're doing is you're inherently taking a small screen activity because sports happen on our TVs and translating right. it into the cinema. And I think that's actually the place where a lot of them trip up that it, you can't faithfully represent that experience in the same way, which also leads me to believe that you can't accurately take the big screen experience and translate it seamlessly to a small screen. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear that, you know, that, that things are kind of looking back up and it, it feels like another sign that we're maybe heading back towards uh, some type of normalcy and, and things after COVID. So that's good to hear. Um, I'll let you all know when my debut movie comes out. Um, but for now, that's that's all we got, Dave. Yay. We'll see if you made all your shots. All right. Well, for Dia Miller, I am Dave Deckard, and we will be back next week with another interesting, fun podcast, probably more training camp signings and other stuff to talk about. We will see you then. A hater sees an opening down the lane, moves towards the hoop, but then Dia comes out of nowhere to swap the shot attempt away, saying, get that weak stuff out of here. Dave scoops up the loose ball. Now it's a fast break the other way with Dia. She's flying down the court. Dave sends her an alley-oop. She jams it. Boom, shakalaka. The crowd is on its feet saluting Dia. I tell you, if she isn't the rookie of the year, they really ought to just stop giving the award. What a talent. <laughs>